This morning, uh, you're welcome to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. Um, I've been assigned verses 31 to 46. <clears throat> and um, just just so we're all on the same page, uh, I was uh, had a different passage, and then I mixed up some dates I was away. And then uh, Brian graciously said, well, here's, here's, you know, a Sunday morning we don't have a speaker for. Actually gave me three choices, but the other two I'm away at camp. So here I am. And then I read the text, and I thought, hmm, okay. Uh, and you'll understand shortly. It's, it's very, very hard, I think, for anybody to stand up and talk about ju- uh, judgment uh, on people and, uh, and, and uh, you know, an understanding of future events and whatnot. But I trust, trust the Lord will add his blessing to this time as we continue in our series of Matthew. And we've, for those of you who are maybe visiting today, we've been working through the Gospel of Matthew um, and uh, we're now at the second half of chapter 25. I'd invite you to maybe close your uh, eyes and bow your heads and join with me in a word of prayer before we begin. Our God and our Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for Jesus Christ, your Son. Uh, Lord, that's, that's all we need. Uh, Lord, we just thank you uh, for who he is, for the work he has done on the cross in rescuing us, Father. We thank you for the very fact that he's God and man, Lord, and uh, that by his death and resurrection, Lord, we are forgiven for our sins, Lord, and we have a relationship with you. Help us now as we uh, read through your word and as I speak about what you've put on my heart. You know, God, would you just uh, bring forward what you want uh, people to hear? And uh, Lord, would you bless our time and would we uh, say and do all things for your glory and honor? I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> So a little bit of an overview of this morning. Um, we have to do a, a bit of a review before we can actually get to our text. And, and what, so you're welcome actually to sit in chapter 24 and 25 because we'll be sort of going um, over that. And then once we have some context with regards to future events, um, something called the All of That Discourse, and then the teachings that we've been enjoying here on it, uh, then we'll, we'll spring into our chapter. So. The reason that we need to review these future events is, uh, and all of this is leading up to the context that we need uh, for this portion of scripture that we're gonna read. Um, and so this is primarily um, a prophetic text. And I wanna acknowledge uh, in this room right now, there's a lot of people that know a lot more than I do, brothers and sisters alike who are learned and studied in this manner. And I also wanna know that there's people amongst us that would know less, maybe they're, they're guests here, um, maybe they've focused in other areas of the Bible in their studies. Um, and so it's just important, though, because we really have to contextualize the Olivet Discourse uh, when we work through it. And, and the Olivet Discourse, you might as well, uh, for now, take that as a term interchangeable with Matthew chapter 24 and 25. It's one block of teaching that the Lord does, um, and, and we refer to it as such. So it's important we understand then coming into this passage that there is a sequence of events, future events. These events have not happened yet. But we need to understand that sequentially these things will happen. Um, and that, that is something we call the rapture, the tribulation, and the second coming of Christ. And so the rapture, it is, it, it is imminent. It could happen at any moment. It could happen before I even finish this set. No, okay, but, but it could. It's that, it is that, it is that close. It is, it is within reach. Um, um, nothing, there's nothing more sure that could, that could possibly happen that we don't know when is going to happen in the rapture. Um, and this is a, a wonderful moment for those of us who know the Lord Jesus, um, who have received the gift of salvation. Uh, we're taken up with the Lord to be with him. And, and the church, all the people 
around the world that know the Lord Jesus as Savior is, is, is taken out of the world at that time because we're brought to be with him. Now, after this, uh, something called the tribulation will happen. And this is a terrible time uh, to be on earth. A lot of uh, horrific atrocities will be happening. Um, and, and this tribulation period is prophesied that it'll last about seven years. And in the first half, um, the Antichrist who is gonna come along and sort of pull everybody together um, he'll actually uh, sign an agreement. He'll set um, an agreement up with the nation of Israel, um, and they'll be they'll be uh, predominant um, in, in their work together. But in the second half, he'll break his agreement with them, and and the result is that Jews around the world will be persecuted on a global on a global scale, and it's a it's a terrible thing um, that will unfold. Um, and then after chapter twenty four and twenty five. And really, it gets its name from the fact that Jesus is teaching uh, his disciples on the Mount of Olives. Um, it's primarily prophetic, and, and the primary audience of the text is, is for the nation of Israel. And we have to remember that, well, the Lord Jesus Christ, for those of us today who know him as Savior, um, he is our Savior and our, and our Lord. Uh, he came uh, to be the Messiah for the nation of Israel. And, and his work on earth and his teachings um, and certainly this, this, this discourse that he shares is with that messianic lens. Um, and, so, and so he's talking to his disciples as Jews um, and about uh, how things are gonna unfold for the nation of Israel. And right before the Olivet Discourse, um, the Lord is actually lamenting over Jerusalem and, uh, and the nation of Israel. And, and Matthew 23, at the very end of the chapter, uh, the Lord's looking out over Jerusalem, and he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers, how often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. And now, look, your house is abandoned and desolate, for I tell you this, you will never see me again until you say, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And this is the Lord Jesus' heart for the city of Jerusalem, for the nation of Israel, a longing to bring them in, to protect them, to, uh, to, be, to be their Messiah. Uh, but, the Lord, but the Lord knew, even as he looked out over Jerusalem and lamented, he knew that this was not uh, for him at this time. He knew what was going to unfold before him, that he would be rejected as the Messiah, that he'd be delivered up for crucifixion and he would be murdered on the cross. But he also knew that a day would come when the nation of Israel would call on him. They would call out of their distress and they would ask for his help. And that's when he'll come um, at the tail end of this time of tribulation. So the other part about the Olivet Discourse that we need to have in mind is it's, it's in response to a question um, that the disciples ask. And so at the beginning of Matthew 24, they've come through the temple and there, there's renovations, there's work going on in the temple complex. The main temple is, is, is built and intact and functional, and now they're working on uh, sort of the outer courtyards and other structures, and there's these massive stones, and the disciples are like, Lord, look at these incredible stones. Uh, and Brian did a lovely job of taking us through that. Um, and, 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 and he says, the Lord says, look, at, there's a time coming when not one of these stones will stand on top of each other. And the disciples say, tell us when this will happen. What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? And so that's, that is the question that leads us into the, into the Olivet Discourse. And so we've enjoyed some good teaching here. I don't know 
um, about you, but I had to sign a document last week at work, and I signed uh, like something like February 12th or something on it. Like the, the months have been marching by, and it doesn't feel like um, feels things that were close are actually quite far away. And so uh, we've, we've sort of broken up the all that discourse into four sections, and I just wanted to give a brief recap because um, I have the fourth section, and I think that I'll sort of be uh, putting this section of, of teaching to bed. So our first section, prior uh, two weeks prior to Easter, Brian took us through the first half of 24 and looked at things like signs of the times, the abomination of desolation, that's when the Antichrist inserts himself in the temple to be worshipped. And we talked about the Lord's glorious return um, and the time period uh, post-rapture and pre-second coming, which is the, the seven years of suffering. And then Mike Truslinitsky, who, Mike, did I get you, did I type your name right this time? Okay, because I typed his name wrong this week, and then I was all panicked when I saw this. Mike took us through uh, the second half of chapter 24, and really this, this notion of are we ready, um, and uh, a general principle of readiness, both as the church in the pre-rapture state, but also as, as new believers during the tribulation. Um, and, uh, and we looked at the parable of the master of the house and, and faithful servant. And it's really interesting because if you have questions sort of about what I talk about today or any of these things, you can go back and listen to them um, on our website and also on our YouTube channel. And it might, be, it might be a blessing. And then, so we had the Easter conference and there was an interruption in our series. And then afterwards, Jonathan Thomas took us through uh, the kingdom parables in the first half of Matthew 25. And, um, and the parable of the bridesmaids and the talents and really just this notion to have of readiness, but also knowing who the master is and knowing what he would want um, and, and being able to act accordingly to that. And so having gone through this today, uh, here we are, uh, but we're not actually, none of my points are for the review, so no spoilers. And, uh, and we're going to look at the last quarter of the Olivet Discourse. So <clears throat> the last thing I'll say in review, and, and then we'll start with some, we'll start, start with our text is, um, when we look at it as a whole, the Olivet Discourse is really bookended by that first and last section that are so predominant prophecy about things that are going to happen. And the, the, the middle two sections are really uh, provide some application about being readiness and about uh, how our hearts ought to be uh, before the Lord. And, um, and people, um, people who act based on their faith and knowledge of God. And so, it's, so as we sort of come to the end of it, Today, we're, we're again uh, more so steeped in prophetic teaching, which is important because as we look at our text today, um, and, and perhaps, I'll, perhaps I'll read it before I start to comment on it, but it, we have to understand that it's a part of one block of teaching that the Lord did. So I'm going to read Matthew 25, 31 to 46. Follow along with me. I'm reading in the New, uh, New Living Translation. says, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he'll sit upon his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? 
or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you some give you clothing when did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you and the king will say i tell you the truth when you did it to the one of the least of these my brothers and sisters you were doing it to me then the king will turn to those on the left and say away with you you cursed ones into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons for i was hungry and you didn't feed me i was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink i was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home i was naked and you didn't give me clothing i was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me then they will reply lord when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you and he will answer i tell you the truth when you refuse to help the least of these my brothers and sisters you were refusing to help me and they will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous will go into eternal life so i've i've as i've grown in my faith and as i've lived my life um i've become more comfortable with being uncomfortable and parts of this make this text make me uncomfortable the thought uh that people would be sent away um and this is not to question the lord's sovereignty or righteousness or his authority but just to say i, I don't like that idea that people would be judged and, and cast away but it's important that when we confront things like this in our walk that we don't shy away from these passages but instead that we lean into them and uh and so we need to research and study them uh, i highly recommend um reaching out to a more mature believer for help and personally very happy to offer brian foreman to anybody um <laughs> if uh if you have questions i certainly thank you brian i certainly call brian when i have questions and uh but i i'm also willing to i'll take a crack at it first uh, if you'd like to talk to me first but um but no we need we need people that we respect um and that we and that we know we can go to uh, for help when we have questions so this 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 portion here that we've just read it happens um right after the tribulation and this has been a time of unprecedented persecution, um, both of the Jewish people and the believers. And I put in brackets, these tribulation saints. So people will come to know the Lord after the rapture, but it will be, um, it will be a very, very hard time uh, for them. There'll be a great price to pay. Many of them will be martyred um, and, uh, and they will not be choosing an easy path um, at that time. It's important that we understand though, that this level of persecution, um, that that the nation of israel uh will face will be um will be catastrophic and um i had the pr privilege this week um in our school we had uh, on on april 18th it was holocaust national holocaust remembrance day and we had a, a speaker uh, virtually uh, dr eva olson she's 98 years old she's a survivor uh the holocaust uh, was taken uh, from her home in uh, hungary and shipped four days, four nights standing in a boxcar to Auschwitz. There she was sorted and all of her family were sent to the gas chambers except for her and her sister. They were sent as slave labor to Germany. And as the allies advanced on Germany, they were then uh, shipped to uh, Bernersburg. I can't pronounce it well, but there an army base meant for 5,000 uh, 5, people, 60,000 Jews locked in there with no food or water uh, for, uh, left to die. And, uh, in this, in the six days it took for them to be liberated, 15,000 of those 60,000 Jews died there. And, um, it struck me as I was listening to her account and, uh, how she 
was so close to death with typhoid fever, um, but by some miracle survived. Uh, it just struck me that the Holocaust uh, is is a terrible, terrible thing. But what what will come will be will be worse uh, in in the sense it'll be on a global scale and it'll be coordinated throughout the world. And that's and that's really the context we need to have in mind when we look at this passage, because because we need to see the nation of Israel um, and and the treatment, the world's treatment of them when the Lord talks about His judgment here. So we're gonna we're gonna pick this apart and uh, and work through the verses together. So the beginning of our assigned passage, verse thirty-one says, "But when the Son of Man comes in His glory," and the Son of Man is a term the Lord Jesus uses in referring to Himself. Often it accompanies more of his, his human traits. Um, so, so when Jesus comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered in his presence. And he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. So I'm... You, you might be surprised, but I don't know a lot of Greek. Um, but I will say that I'm comfortable pronouncing the word uh, ethnos, but I'm not really going to... If you see brackets on the slides, um, I've taken some of my uh, notes from, from looking at the Greek words. But um, this idea of all the nations being gathered, it's, it's, the, it's not necessarily that like the Canadians and the Americans and the Colombians will be called. It's, it's really more about a cultural group um, or a group of similar customs. And Fruchenbaum, who's uh, uh, a scholar that, that I've also used and is, is well-respected as a Messianic Jew, um, asserts that this is really saying that every person on earth will be gathered, uh, not necessarily based on their nationality. Um, and, and the Lord Jesus will separate the people uh, as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. And it's interesting because it's, it's not separated to, it's separated from. So there's a so everybody's here and they're separated from one another, um, and this separation is based on what has happened, uh, what's what has been done by each individual. And the sheep, the sheep will be placed on the right and the goats on the left. And I would suggest to you, for the Lord Jesus, it will be as easy as it is for us to distinguish between sheep and goats. Uh, the Lord knows each one of us here, and He'll know each person there, and He'll know who they are and where they stand before him. Then the king, and it's interesting, so now the Lord Jesus refers to himself as the king because he's seated on the throne. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you. Let's remember that for later, the kingdom prepared for you. From the creation of the world, for I was hungry and you fed me, I was thirsty and you gave me a drink, I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. So this notion of kingdom uh, has sort of two, two applications and it really just speaks to God's sovereignty over the physical world, but also the hearts of people in it. And this is his invitation into the millennial kingdom. And we won't be talking a lot about this, but this is the beginning of the Lord's reign on earth for a thousand years and also into the eternal kingdom. And this, invitation is based on their actions during the tribulation where they chose to uh to do what was right before god uh to not take part in persecuting the jews um and ultimately 
uh, many of them would pay the price through martyrdom for this. And those standing before the Lord at this time, the only difference um, between them and people who were martyred for their beliefs and convictions about how they ought to treat people, uh, these people are still alive and those others are, are, are dead victor, victims of, uh, of attack and, uh, and, and systemic operations. <clears throat> so it's interesting uh, because if I'm in that group and I'm standing before the Lord Jesus and the Lord Jesus says, John, you're part of Team Sheep. Um, you know, you, you did all these great things and, and now everything's going to work out for you. I might, I, might not, uh, I might not say what they said. So the righteous ones reply, Lord. And so it's interesting to note now, now they're referring to him as Lord. And we'll talk a little bit more about the, the meaning of that word later. They'll say, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or feed you? Or thirsty or give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? So these, they admit that they don't know what, what he's talking about. Lord, we've never seen you like this. So, so what are you talking about? And the Lord says, I tell you the truth. When you did it to the least one of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. And this connotation of brothers and sisters is is widely used in the New Testament as, a, as members of a religious community. And we refer to each other as brothers and sisters in our fellowship here. Um, but, but the Lord is talking about his brothers and sisters in the nation of Israel, primarily. And Frutenbaum asserts that uh, in this. And so the metric for this judgment is people's treatment of the Jews during the tribulation. And it's very interesting then if we go back and we realize just how poor the nation of Israel will be treated when they have no food, when they have no water to drink, when they are displaced and chased throughout the world, being strangers everywhere they go, when they are naked, having no resources, no help, and no hope, sick and not attended to, in prison and not visited. But the actions of the righteous towards these people show that they know God, that they know is what right is right, and that they love Jesus, and that they know the Lord Jesus has a heart for these people, and they won't let anybody be dehumanized like that. So their invitation then into the kingdom is based on their relationship with God, and this relationship has informed their actions. And it's really important here that we understand because what might seem like a, a passage of scripture that contradicts the general teachings of the word of God, in fact, when we understand the context of it, it's that faith produces works, works prove faith, and faith saves. So this is not a matter, um, and, I, and I will be so bold to say that but for the belief that they were accountable to Jesus Christ and to God, they never would have ever shown kindness to these people because the risk that they faced was so great. The, the opportunity for their lives to be uh, destroyed was so immense that but for the conviction only of the Holy Spirit, uh, only of God's work, only of his word um, and the truth of it that would lead them to do these things. Verse 41, then the king will, will <clears throat> return to those on his left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For 
I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick in prison and you didn't visit me. And we, I, wanted to, I want you to note here, the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. And when the Lord uh, looks forward and renders uh, this judgment, um, that notion of cursed ones is somebody who's doomed after receiving condemnation from God. And what's so important here is that we understand that, that there is a judgment, and that's why they're, they're receiving this condemnation, that they had opportunity beforehand to act to, uh, in a way that would avoid this judgment. It's also important that we all understand that the, word, the Lord himself says that that fire is not, was never prepared for people, but for the devil and his angels. And we believe at Redo Bible Chapel, and I'll stand before you here today to say that nobody has to go to that lost, uh, that lost place, that, the lake of uh, fire, that everybody can be uh, saved from that penalty, uh, both today and in the future. So then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And the word Lord they use here is the same word Lord that the righteous used when they said, Lord, when did we ever do these things? Because we don't remember doing it. And this, this word Lord, it, it, it's a person exercising absolute ownership and rights, meaning that these people answer back to the Lord Jesus Christ on the throne and they understand who he is, that he has the absolute authority to do this, that he's exercising his ownership and his rights as God, very God. And I think it's so sad that they now call him Lord um, when they see Jesus for who he is. And this window of time to recognize him through faith has, has closed and, and they're being judged by their actions, but our Lord is gracious um, and offers an explanation. He doesn't offer, he doesn't owe any person an explanation, but he says this, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And this idea of refused um, comes from a root that, ta that really talks about um, a personal making or manufacturing. Um, it's an action, it's something that's done. And uh, yesterday, uh, we celebrated uh, Kimberly's grandmother's 94th birthday. Many of you may know her. Her name's Megan Stevens. She and her husband John attended the chapel for decades here uh, in the earlier years of our, of our meeting here. And, uh, and Kimberly, my wife, said to Waverly, our youngest, uh, you know, Grand Grand would really love a card um, made by you. Um, and uh, she said, you know, Kim goes and sees her grandmother uh, fairly regularly. And she said, that Christmas card you made for her, it's, it's still up on the wall. And Grand Grand loves it so much. So would you make her a birthday card? And spoiler alert, she did. And it was great. And Grand Grand loved it. But, uh, but that's not the point. The point is this. That's this level of personal manufacturing we're talking about, where, where there was a choice. Not, not uh, oh, I heard bad things were happening here. And I turned a blind eye. This is... This is actually, you've manufactured the situation and, and your choice in, in what you've done is, is too refused. And, and so by these people not helping, the, these persecuted people in their times, they've chosen the mandate of the Antichrist uh, over Jesus Christ, over what God says about people that were made in the image of God that we all deserve 
to be respected and cared for, um, and that nobody deserves uh, to be treated like this. And so they'll go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go to eternal life. And just as uh, they were judged, the, the ones going away were judged and condemned, the righteous here uh, are approved uh, in the eyes of God. And so in our remaining time, and we're doing, we're doing just perfect for time, which is nice. It's always a great anxiety, uh, at least for, uh, well, I'd like to think for everybody that gets up to this pulpit, but certainly, uh, certainly uh, we want to be respectful of people's times and plans. So I'd like to talk a little bit now about how we can apply uh, this passage of scripture in our lives and, and what we need to glean from it. And so remembering that it, it's really referring to future events um, and it has to be taken solely in the context of the Olivet Discourse, um, then, then, we can, then we can look, you know, and we look at it through the lens of the disciples' question about the Lord's return um, and to the end of the world, um, then, we, then, we, then we can actually learn what, what's going to unfold as the Lord is speaking. But today, uh, it's important that we take from this that this is not about us, and this is not about now. Um, Today, our standing before God is based on the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and our faith in him. And that's, that is a truth that when you encounter a passage like this, that seems it's, con it's contrary to that, you have to push that truth up against it. Because if we are, if our hope is in our work and our good deeds, then we, we are the saddest of all people. So... We remember then that we're not justified for the good things we do, but the good things we do come from God living in our lives, ruling in our hearts, um, and, and they serve as evidence of our faith, but they are not the substance of our faith. I want to look at a, a passage of scripture that I think is so important, although there's many. Uh, you're welcome to turn there, but the verses are verses up on the screen. It's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. And, and, and this, is, this is the predominant teaching that we have here um, with regards to works. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece, and he has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And so... Here's that word that Benton opened with this morning, and I've been really enjoying meditating on this week, grace. And, and my standard answer to that is a gift given something undeserved. But when we really look at the root of this word, um, it's something that God freely extends and reaches out to people because of his disposition to bless them. So it's not, it's not like God's like, here, you can have forgiveness and salvation and hope, just come and get it. It's more like, please take it. I, I want you to have it. And not only is it a single opportunity, but every moment of every day, God is available to forgive for people to come forward and ask that they be made right with him. And, 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 and that single moment when, uh, referred to here when you believed, that is that one time, a singular event where that strong conviction comes over us, where we believe who Jesus is, that he's Lord, and through that faith, we have eternal life. And so when we keep that in mind, that, that, that salvation comes as a gift from God, that he pours it out on us, and we just have to grab hold of it, then it's not a reward uh, for the things that we have done. 
And I don't know about you, uh, but a lot of the scripture I have memorized is, is in the King James Version. Um, and so I, I, I read and I preach from the New Living Translation, but I remember that it says, for grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And that not of works is, is very important here because, um, and, and this is the danger or the pitfall, uh, beloved, this morning that we need to be aware of. So we understand that, that works here means actions and doing things, but the connotation of the Greek here is actually uh, to emulate somebody else or to follow somebody else's example. And this is the danger that we face when we think doing good things puts us in good standing with God. And ultimately that if we do more good things than bad things, God will show us favor and he'll forgive us because the word of God doesn't teach that. So the danger here is that I come along shoulder to shoulder with somebody who is saved by the grace of God, received that gift through faith, and now being influenced by God to do good things. And I come beside them and I say, well, me and this person, we're in the same spot before God because we're doing the same things. And in fact, God owns the good works that are being done in the people who know and believe in him. See, God claims us as his own. And he says that we are his workmanship. He's doing a change in us. And I think about when I came to know the Lord over 30 years ago, what a journey it's been to, to allow the Lord into my life, to allow him to change uh, who I am, to speak to the, the things in my life that aren't right or good, and, and, and to make me suitable for his purposes. And that's exactly what this passage says, that he's planned these good things out, these good things out for us to do. Um, and so we need to recognize then that our faith puts us in a relationship with the Lord Jesus and with God and that God does the work in us to prepare us for the good things he wants us to do. And, and I would challenge you this morning, if you're a believer, are you doing the good things God wants you to do? And please do not hear, John says we need to do more. That is, that is not the same thing at all. And in fact, I, I think we all could do a better job of coming before the Lord and asking, God, am I doing what you want me to be doing now? And sometimes we get caught up in ministries and we continue to, to abide in them, we continue to work in them because we've sort of always done that. And who would, who would ever say that the Shepherd's Pie Outreach Committee to feed dock workers in the Philippines, I don't know. But, but I, I don't want to talk about any, any particular ministry. That, uh, and if you're involved in that ministry, I did not know. But, <laughs> but, but, <clears throat> but just because you're doing something and God has called you to it, we know that every ministry has a start date and an end date. And so my challenge to you this morning is what is God, for believers, what's God called you to? And are you doing that? The question, I'm not asking, are you busy for the Lord? I think a lot of us are very busy. Uh, my question is, are you doing the good things that God's called you to? And are you asking him? and seeking him uh, out in that. And so we can take comfort in, in this passage in the, in, in the last quarter of the Olivet Discourse, and quite frankly, in the entire, uh, entirety of chapter 24 and 25. The Lord knows what the future holds. The Lord has authority over it. But let's remember um, that there, when this second coming and this judgment happens, it's not for us today. Um, today, we are covered by the penalty he has paid uh, on the cross, and, and it's that simple faith, uh, ultimately, that, uh, that allows us to be, uh, to be uh, made right with him. 
And I'll, I'll close with this, with this comment or this anecdote because I think it's applicable and it came to my mind this week. You know, there's a lot of people in this room I don't know. And I don't, and even the ones I do, our, our standing before the Lord is quite frankly between the Lord and us. And, uh, and we're, not, we're not here to judge, but I, but I will say this. If you, if you have an understanding, if you know who the Lord Jesus is, if you, if you have an intellectual appreciation, but you think you need to be better before you can come to him, you'll never come to him. Uh, a good friend of mine, um, we, we do workouts together and we talk uh, about how people don't, people just don't start working out with or doing exercise because they feel like they're not in good enough shape. And so they'll say, oh, I need to be able to run for a minute or I need to be able to do a push-up before I'll start exercising. And that, that's not great logic because people who are out of shape, who can't do those things, need to, to start to exercise right away. They need to step right in. And that's, and that's where this is with the Lord Jesus this morning. If you know who Jesus is, if you know what he's done for you, but you feel you have to be a better version of yourself before you can come to him, you'll, you won't come to him. You need to come just as you are. You need to admit uh, your, your sinful nature, which I have, which each person in this room has. You need to ask for forgiveness and, and you need to make him the Lord of your life. So um, why don't we, we'll take a moment now, uh, and we'll close in prayer. Our God and our Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for this time to be together. We thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to, uh, to open up your word to, and to read through and to understand. We thank you that Jesus would come to earth, that he would teach his disciples. We thank you, God, that you know the future, you hold it in your hands. We thank you that today, Father, we can be saved, we can be forgiven, we can be made right with you, we can be eligible for the rapture, Lord, to be brought up with you in the sky, Lord, to be with Jesus, to see him as he is, Father. We thank you for this time. We thank you for the freedom we enjoy to come here free of persecution, Father. And we thank you that we can just be together, brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray, Lord, for anybody in this auditorium today that doesn't know you, Lord, would they just feel the tugging at their heart, Father, through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. My words uh, are nothing, Lord, but your Holy Spirit and your truth, Father, are everything. So we we pray this over this group of people, Lord, and we thank you now for this time, and we commit ourselves to you in the balance of our day. And I pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.